Good morning. We've been looking at a critical topic in our lives, authority. Authority is a hot topic. We have a lot of strong emotions and feelings and thoughts about it. And the reason why is because authority, it matters. It matters in our quality of life. How we view authority has a major impact on whether we have a good life or a frustrating life. And so we've been studying this topic uh, last week. Um, our administrative pastor, Thad Lanthrop, he preached a great message on some fundamental realities that all of us need to get a hold of in dealing with authority. These are things that as a culture we used to know, but we've chosen to forget. And so I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back online. It's for free and you can, you can listen to the message. There are three big things that we looked at last week. The first thing that we got to know about authority is that God is the ruler of all things. And for me, that's really good news because that means that since God is the ruler of all things, God is in charge, God is all powerful, and God knows where I'm at, and God is good. He can take care of me. It's good news that God is the ruler of all things because he's a really good person. And so that gives me hope. That gives me peace. That's a fundamental truth about reality. The second thing about reality we looked at is that all authority has been given by God. So if you're in leadership, that position has been given to you ultimately by God, and he wants you to use your authority to lead the group that you're over to accomplish whatever group, what, I'm sorry, accomplish whatever good that group exists to, to accomplish. And if you're under leadership, it's not some accident that you have this person leading you. The Lord has put that person in their position of authority. And the third thing that we looked at last week is that my relationship with the Lord, with, with God, runs between, runs through my leader. My leader stands between me and God, my relationship with God. And we tend to think that our leader's over here and that God's over here and we can love and we can worship and we can treat God. We can, we can, we can praise him and, and give him our life. But then we have leaders and we don't, we don't necessarily follow or treat them so well. And we think we can do these two things simultaneously. But when you read the Bible, when you find out what God has to say, actually the way it works is it looks more like this. I, I relate to God in part by the way that I respond to the leaders that he's put in my life. That's a fundamental reality. That's a fundamental truth. This week we're going to look at is how we in authority, those of us in positions of a leadership, can use that authority to, to lead in a way that we're able to accomplish whatever mission we have, but also take care of the people that are, that are in our care. And the first thing I want to say is that I, I have a problem with authority. I have a problem with authority that you, you may share. My problem with authority is that I'm not that great at it. It's really hard to lead well. It's very difficult to be a great leader. And here's, here's what I mean. Every leader has to accomplish three big things. There's three big priorities that every leader has to make sure that they're looking out for. The first one is this. They have to make sure that they're accomplishing the mission. Whatever the mission is, whatever the reason the group came together is, there's a mission to be accomplished. There's a good to do. And the leader's job is to make sure that happens. The second thing the leader has to do is a leader has to look out for the welfare of the people who are following them. So while they're, while they're pursuing the mission, while they're trying to get things done, they also have to look out for the people who they're leading. And the third thing they have to do is they have to look out for the welfare of the leader themselves. Now, the first one I'm okay at. I can, I've gotten better. I've been leading for about a decade in different capacities. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I was a coach. I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, one time I, um, 
well, I, I lead here in church in the valley. I have leadership in different places. And so do you. We all have lo- authority, a leadership in different places. But this first one, I'm OK. At. I can I can figure out where we are and figure out where we need to be and try to come up with a plan and, and try to lead the group that way. I'm OK at the first one. And the third one, I'm really good at the third one. The third one I'm great at. I take really good care of the leader when I'm the leader. When I'm the leader, I take good care of the leader. But it's the second one that I struggle with. The second one is the one that I'm, I'm, I really wrestle with. It's the one that always gets me. It's the one that I think I'm weakest at. And that is, is accomplishing the mission in a way that I can look out for the welfare of the followers. How do you do that? How do you, how do you accomplish the mission? How do you lead the people? How, how, do, you, how do you bring the group together to, to, to accomplish the goal? How do you lead people to win without losing the people that you lead? That's a real challenge for us in authority. That's a challenge for us as parents, as husbands, as leaders in the business world, leaders here at Church in the Valley. And if, if we don't get a hold of it, if I don't get a hold of this thing, it'll cost me. And it's cost me in the past. For example, I used to be a water polo coach a decade ago. Here's a picture of me. Uh, it's kind of sideways. You can barely see it. It didn't look, work out so well. But that's me. I'm coaching my water polo team. I graduated from college playing water polo at a pretty high level. And I wanted to be a coach and a teacher. And so I found this school. There was a school in Riverside, Ramona High School. And I was their water polo coach. And this program was kind of run down. They had no wins in three years. They had won zero games in three years. But I came in there with guns blazing. And I came to coach these people to, to glory. Right? So I had my clipboard. And I had my checklist. And these guys... They're, these boys, I have them doing two-a-days. I mean, they're getting up in the morning. They're practicing from 6.30 to 7.30. They go to school. Then they come back at night, and they practice from 3.15 to 5.45. Five days a week. Games on Saturdays. But here's the deal. The team that I, that I got, I only had six guys. In water polo, you need seven guys. So a week before the first game, we got our seventh guy. But two of my guys could barely swim. I'm not kidding. They could barely swim. One guy couldn't tread. He, he went like this in the water. This is not how you stay up in water pool. You can't do this. Big guys will sink you. You just go straight down to the bottom. And so, but that doesn't stop me because we have a mission. You know, I got a plan. First week, or not first week, first season, winning season. Second season, win league. Third season, win CIF. Fourth season, greatest leader in the world, right? That's my picture. That's what I'm going to do. And these boys, they're following me. And guess what? The first season... We won our first game. First game in three years. That was a big deal. And what's really crazy is the other coaches got together in the league and they actually gave me coach of the year for the league. We, were, we won one out of ten games. Now, the thing is, is I was thinking, man, I'm a great leader. I'm really good. And then when we go into our second season, me and these seven boys, these iron men, no substitutes, straight water polo. I get a phone call. Hey, coach, um, <clears throat> listen, I don't, I don't want to play anymore. This is my goalie. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> kind of an important part of the team. Coach, I don't, I don't want to play anymore. What do you mean you want to play anymore? No, I'm, I'm not having any fun. I'm, it's not good. I just, I'm not enjoying it. I don't want to play anymore. Oh, my gosh. Then I get another phone call. It's my sixth man. Hey, coach, listen, uh, I want to play football. No, you don't want to play football. You want to play water polo. We just, we won our first game. We got, I got coach of the year. We're going to go into the next season. We're going to dominate. And you see, I was focused on the mission, but I wasn't focusing on that second one. That second one, I'm weakest at. The first one I'm okay at. I'm okay at accomplishing the mission. And I'm really good at the third one, looking out for my welfare. But it's that second one that gets me. And here's the deal. How do you do this? What do great leaders do 
to lead their team to win without losing the team that they lead. And you can lose people while they're still there with you. Some of you are parents and you have kids. And as parents, it's hard to get things done in your family and maintain shalom in your home. Now, there's a show on television a couple years ago called Shalom in the Home. And the word shalom is a great word. It means peace. It means security. It means wholeness. And me and my wife, we try to remember this. We want to have shalom in our home. We want our kids to feel love and accepted and peaceful in our house. But we also have all these things to do. How do you do that? Because, you know, you've got to get them up, get them dressed, get them fed, get them off to school, get them off to practice, get them off to appointments. And sometimes they fight you with that stuff, right? Some of you are those kids in the room right now. And as parents, we have a whole bunch of things we have to do. We have to pay the bills. We have to go to work. We have chores. We have friends we're meeting. We have things we have to do, good things we have to get accomplished. But our kids have needs. How do you, how do you, how do great parents lead their families towards these wins without losing the families that they lead? Because you can have your kid in the backseat of the car, but you've lost their heart. Their heart is far from you. I've experienced that as a parent. I've gone to bed at night as a parent, and I thought, I have totally blown this. I'm the worst parent in the world. I got angry. I lost my temper. I disciplined too fast, or I just checked out, you know, got on Facebook, and I'm like, go ahead. Just don't burn the house down. And I'm sitting there, Ben, I feel like I'm just not a great parent, not a great leader. You ever felt like that? And we lead in church. As many of you lead in church. At this church, we are trying to reach out to people who are far from God. We're trying to tell them about Jesus, about the life that he has, and teach them how to do everything he's commanded. And while we do that, as we start campuses in Alhambra, as we, we launched a church plant in, in, in Orange Crest in 2007, this takes incredible resources and energy and effort, a lot of sacrifice. And how do you do that, but also look out for the welfare of the people that are here, the people that are under your charge, the flock that God has given you care over? How do you do both things? How do you lead your church to win without losing the church that you lead? Because this is a volunteer organization. People can leave whenever they want. And for those of you that lead in business world, this should make a lot of sense to you because you are trying to provide a good or service to your customers. And if you want to provide a good or service to your customer, then you've got to figure out some way to get your people that, you, that work for you to not only invest their hands, but also their hearts. You want them to put their mind, their heart, with their hands. Because if they don't do that, they're not going to provide the best service, the best good, and you're going to lose market share. But it's not easy to do that. As a boss, you don't just want to have a clipboard checking off the things they're doing. You want them to be invested. How do you do that? How do you lead your company to win without losing the company that you lead? Because a lot of leaders, we struggle with this second one. It's that second one that's hard for us. Fortunately for us, Jesus answers this question. Jesus Christ answers this question. And in my opinion, Jesus Christ is the greatest leader who ever lived. Now, I don't know your background. You may not be a Christian. You may not be very religious. That's okay. But I want you just to, just for a second, just consider this with me. Here's a guy who 2,000 years ago was a blue-collar carpenter. Blue-collar guy. Worked with his hands. He had no political power. He had no money. He had, he had no armies with swords. And somehow that guy, 2,000 years ago, he turned loose a revolution that has swallowed this planet. There is no one who has more people who love and are devoted to him than Jesus. There are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people that are nothing like him, liked him. Everything in our culture has his fingerprints over it. Politics, economics, law, culture, art. If you had a magnet that could suck up everything that has Jesus' fingerprints on it, there wouldn't be anything left. 
that coffee maker would be gone. Maybe not the coffee maker. Jesus is, is, is the greatest leader who ever lived. And he actually speaks directly to this question about how do we lead the teams? How do we reach the goal? How do we accomplish the mission? How do we lead our teams to win without losing the teams that we lead? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at him and what he has to say. So we're going to, we're going to go to a, a great story, a story that I really love. This is a story. Here's the setting. Jesus has 12 disciples, 12 men who have been following him, who have given him their life. See, he has been publicly ministering for three years, right? He, he's doing what he came to do. He's preaching the good news about God's kingdom, that people can come and have a relationship with God. He's healing. He's, he's driving out demons. He's correcting corrupt leaders. And this is the last lap in the last month. And he's heading to Jerusalem to accomplish the most important mission in human history. And his disciples, they, they know this. The guys who have been following him, they know that he's going to Jerusalem to do something really big. And what they think he's going to do is they think he's going to go there and he's going to establish his throne. He's going to put on his crown and he's going to bring his rule over the earth. And every, every nation, every tribe, Caesar, Pilate, Herod, everyone's going to serve him. And they want to be right there next to him. When he's in charge, when he's the leader, when he has authority, they want to be right below him so that they can give orders and they can be in charge and they can have authority. And so they're kind of fighting about this all the time. And, and what happens is two of his guys, James and John, two of his closest disciples, they come to Jesus and they say to him, hey, hey, listen, Jesus, um, we want you to give us whatever we ask you to give us. And Jesus says, no. No, that's not what he says. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, I want, to, I want to look at this passage. Before we go there, I want to boil this down. I've been thinking about this for a week. How, how, can I, how can I get my hands around what Jesus teaches on leadership? What is it that great leaders do? And, and what I try to do is I try to squeeze it down to something that I can remember. And here's what it is. Here's the bottom line. Here's the main point. If you get nothing else from the message today, here's our main point. What great leaders do is they ask the question, how can I help you? What great leaders do is they ask the question, how can I help you? That's what great leaders do. That's what Jesus does. That's what great leaders do. They ask the question, how can I help you? Because the first one, I'm okay at. The third one, I'm great at. But that middle one, I struggle with. And this is what great leaders do. They ask the question, how can I help you? Now, at first, that might not make sense. You might think that, that can't be right. Because if we ask our followers, like, what do you need me to do for you? Well, they're going to get a sidetracked. They're going to take us off mission. This can't be right. But if you, if you listen to what he says and you understand what he's teaching, I think you're going to see that this principle could really transform the areas that you exercise authority. So let's go ahead and get right into it. These guys are arguing. They want to be the best. Two disciples come to Jesus. They say, make us. Here's what they say. They say, give us whatever we ask for. And Jesus says to them, he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? And they say to him, we want you to give us a throne to your left and to your right when you sit in your glory. When you go to Jerusalem and you establish your kingdom and now you're the ruler over the universe, we want to be shotgun. We want a little throne on the left and a little throne on the right so that we can get, take your orders. So what we're going to do is you, you give us a throne and we're going to take a clipboard and we're going to write everything you say down and then we're going to go tell people, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, because that's what great leaders do. Great leaders tell people what to do. And the more people you tell what to do, the greater leader you are. Jesus says to them, he says, guys, I can't give you this. This is not for me to give. Actually, this is these seats that you want. Those are seats that the father gets to decide who has. This is his authority. This isn't my authority. 
And so, you know, the, the guys probably fell back in the crowd. And the other ten come up to them and they say, hey, what were you talking to Jesus about? And they're like, nothing. We just, you know, go to Jerusalem. It's going to be great. And like, well, we heard you say something about glory and thrones and seats. And so when they found out that these other two guys thought that they were better than the other ten, they flipped out. The Bible says they got indignant. And you could just see these guys arguing because they were doing this all the time. This is a reoccurring fight amongst this crowd. Who's the greatest? You can just see Peter. He's screaming. He's bloodshed. I'm the rock. I'm the rock. I'm the one that Jesus said he's going to build his church on. I'm the one who walked on the water. And James is like, yeah, you're the rock who sunk in the water. And you got Andrew. He's like, well, I'm the one who Jesus found first. And I got you, Peter. And Nathaniel's like, well, Jesus called me a true Israelite. And in the back, Judas has got the wallets and he's pulling money out of everybody's wallet while they're fighting over this stuff. Now, this is the group that started the church. Isn't that encouraging? These people are like me. And so Jesus sees this and he pulls these guys together. He said, come here. And they come around Jesus. And now he's going to teach them what greatness is in his kingdom and what great leaders do. So here's the passage. I'm going to look at Mark chapter 10. It says, when the 10, let me read my Bible. That'd be a good idea. (laughs) Good idea. Here's what he says. He says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials. Well, they exercise authority over them. You know how in this world, the greatest leaders are the ones that give the most orders in this world. The greatest leaders are the ones that have the most people waiting on them. In this world, the greatest leaders are the ones where everybody's like, hey, so what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And they're all focused on the goal and desire and the mission of this leader and the leader's interests. And the more people that you have following you and obeying you and taking your commands, that's the greater you are. You know how that's how it is? Jesus says to these guys, no, like, yeah, that's what we want. We're ready. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's establish this thing. We got our golden clipboard. We're ready to take your orders. We're ready to give orders. He says to them, not so with you. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Not so with you. Not so with my people. Not so with my kingdom. Instead, whoever wants to be great, you want to be great? It's okay. It's not a bad thing. Whoever wants to be great among you must be servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now, this is not what they were expecting. This is not what we're expecting. No, no, no. You see, in the world, who's great is the order giver, the commander, the person who has everybody waiting on him, the person who has the clipboard and is giving the orders and telling people what to do. That's great in the world. That's power. Jesus is saying, no, great is not the person waited on. Great is the waiter. And what do waiters do? See, the word servant in that passage, it means table waiter. Waiter, you know, like at Applebee's. Hi, sir. How can I help you? What is the what does he say? How can I help you? What waiters do is they ask the question. How can I help you? Jesus says that the servants are the greatest and the servants ask the question. How can I help you? So if you want to do what great leaders do, then you have to ask the question. How can I help you? You have to take the clipboard and you have to put it down and you have to pick up the apron and you've got to put it on. Because the clipboard that I had as a, as a water polo coach, that helped me. I had instructions. I coached those boys. They improved. But I never put on the apron. 
I never took the time to stop and ask them, you know, how are you guys doing? How can I help you? Is there anything that I can do to make you more successful? And you've got to put down the whistle and the scepter, and you've got to pick up the waiter's pad. Because in the kingdom of God, to God with us, Jesus Christ, the greatest leader asks the question, how can I help you? Nah, no, that can't be right. Again, we have missions to do. And if I focus on my kids and my workers, and if I'm just always like, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? We're not going to get anything done. That's not a great leader. Actually, think about this for a second. In every group that people come together for, in every human organization, the leader who's over that group is leading the group to accomplish something. In almost every group of people, the good that they're accomplishing is to help people. For government, for example, government has leaders, they have authorities, they have people in positions. In government, the purpose of good government is to provide security for your life and your liberty and your property, to establish justice so that people in society can flourish. What do we call government officials that do a great job? Civil servants. Servants. What a great government official does, what great government leaders do, is they ask the question, how can I help you? In your families, if you have children, what is the job of a parent? The job of the parent is to raise this next righteous generation so that they can walk with God and they can be a help to people and live the very best kind of life. And as a parent, you have to ask the question, how can I help my kids with what it is they're dealing with. How can I help them grow? If I never ask the question, how can I help you? Well, I'm not going to accomplish the purpose and the mission that I I have as a parent. And if you're in business, this should make a lot of sense to you because, again, in business, you are providing a good and service. The words themselves tell you that what Jesus is saying is true. That's what you're doing in business. And the better you are at asking your customers, what are your needs? How can I help you? What's the problem that I can solve for you? What's the tension that I can resolve? What's the difficulty that I can make easier? The businesses that do that, they get the most customers. And if you want your employees and the people who answer to you to be really good to your customers, then you as a leader have to do what great leaders do. And that's ask the question, how can I help you? How can I help you be more successful at your job? What can I do to help you in your position be more effective at our company's mission. See, this is, this is real. This isn't just, oh, that's cute. That's fun for Sunday. This is actually how God has wired reality, whether you're a Christian or not. This is real. And the Lord is telling us this because, well, because he's the greatest leader of all time. And so the last line that he says is, is just, it's, it's just one of those lines that we, we hear so many times and we Maybe we lose the meaning of it. Here's the last thing he says. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Even I, I'm God with you. Even I deserve, I deserve worship, glory, praise. I created you. I'm holding you together as we speak. I deserve 
Jesus deserves glory, honor, praise. And in one day he will have all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. But even he didn't come to get you and me to do good for him. He came to do good for us. He came to wait on us. He came to help us with the thing that we couldn't do. And what was that thing? To give his life as a ransom for many. Because here's the story. God created mankind and he created us to have a relationship with him and to prosper with him on this earth for all time. He wanted us to have the very best kind of life. But we chose to kick him off the throne and to make it all about us. We don't worship God. We don't glorify God. We don't think about God. We're not reflecting him on our money. We're not reflecting him with our time. We don't reflect him in the friends that we choose. We are about ourselves and our own desire and our own happiness. That's what human beings are all about, being happy. You just have to go to the grocery store and look at the magazines on the rack to see that that's true. We worship and glorify our own desires. That's a hard thing to say, but I'm not the one saying it. This is what God has told us is true about our human race. And what happened? Jesus is sitting on his throne in heaven in eternity past, and he is looking down on the human race, and he's asking this question, how can I help these people? I love these people. And what we needed was we needed someone to take our place Because, see, we're outlaws in God's universe. We have violated God's commands. We have not worshipped our creator, but worship ourselves and the creation. That makes us criminals. That makes us outlaws. And there's a capital punishment coming for every single person. That is the truth. What Jesus does is he takes our eternal death and he gives us his eternal life. He takes our broken relationship with God the Father And he gives us his loving relationship with God the Father. He takes the pain and suffering and the the difficulty of our sin, and he gives us his life and his joy and his peace, and he walks with us forever. He does this by dying for us on the cross. That was what he was going to do in Jerusalem. That's how Jesus helps us. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now, what does this mean for us? How do we apply this to our lives? What would this look like? Imagine with me just for a second if you took this very simple but difficult, simple but difficult principle of what great leaders do, asking the question, how can I help you? And if you put down the clipboard, if you put down the crown, and you picked up the waiter's pad today, this week, imagine what that could do in your life. Imagine husbands. Imagine if tonight with your wife... Rather than when the kids are down, you go watch a show or, or, or look on the phone. If you actually got your wife her favorite drink and you sat down and you said, Honey, it's a big week. A lot of hard things to do, a lot of busy things, good things we're going to do. And I love you and I want to know, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you this week? Is there anything you're facing that I can help you with and make it easier? How can I help you? What do you think that would do, husbands, to the intimacy, to the friendship, to the trust between you and your wife? Some of you are parents, and you have a busy week. I want you to think about the week coming up. There's lots of things for you to do. These are good things, things you have to get done because you're the leader, and you have to look out for the mission to be accomplished. But what if this tomorrow morning when you wake up, you get down on your knees and you look at your kid and say, hey, I really love you. I really want you to have a great day. We have lots of great things to do, but I want to know, is there anything I can do to help you? How are you doing? Is there anything you want? Is there anything you need? Is there anywhere I can help you? Now, you may be able to give it to them, and you may not. James and John asked for the shotgun thrones, and Jesus said no. You can't always give people what they ask for, but a lot of the things your kids ask for, you can give them. How much more cooperation are there going to be in your home? 
How much more peace and trust is there going to be in your home? How much more is your son or daughter going to open their hearts to you and give you their hearts, not just their backs? That's what we need with our kids. You put on the apron. You pick up the waiter's pad. You ask the question, how can I help you? And for those of you in business, think about this. Tomorrow you pull your team in. And you say, guys, we've got a lot of big things to do. Here's what we're trying to accomplish, and you guys are working hard to accomplish it. But here's what I need to know. I need to know what is one or two things that I can do with my authority, my power, my position to help you be more successful at your job. I want you to send me these one or two things this week. What can I do this week, this month, or this quarter? You tell me what's an obstacle that you keep facing. What's a resource that you need? What's a challenge that I can help you with? How can I work for you? I want to make you successful at the work you're doing because that's going to make the whole company successful. How can I help you? What would that do to the cohesion and unity in your, in your team? What would that do? Are, are they more or less likely to take care of your customers? Are they more or less likely to trust and follow you? Are they going to just give you their hands at work, or are they going to give you their hands and their hearts and their heads? And what's that going to do to your bottom line? Think you're going to make more or less money? This is a fundamental truth. This is a fundamental truth about leadership. Because that first one, going after the mission, I'm okay at that. And that third one, taking care of the leader, good at that one. But it's that second one, asking the question, how can I help you? That's the one I really struggle with. So now it's your move. What are you going to do? How are you going to do this? You can think through those, those applications I gave you, but I have one next step for you, and it's on the back of your handout. So if you take out your handout real quick and flip it onto the back, you're going to see a waiter's pad. This is the symbol I want to leave with you. This is the picture that captures the big idea that what great leaders do is ask the question, how can I help you? So I have one next step, just one thing. Before you go to bed tonight, ask someone you have authority over, How can I help you? And if you really want to see this thing work in your leadership, if you really want to learn how to exercise authority, like the greatest of all time, Jesus Christ, then I want you to take this waiter pad that I gave you, and I want you to put it on your dashboard in your car, or put it on your desk at work, or put it at your mirror at night, or put it it someplace where you exercise authority, and I want you to watch the people that you lead and ask the question, what can I do to help them? And then I want you to write it down, Take the order, and I want you, if you can do it, to do it. Because if we'll do what great leaders do, if we'll ask the question, how can I help you, then we'll be able to lead our teams to win without losing the teams that we lead. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you loved us enough to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, we really do want to have the very best kind of life. And I thank you that we find that in your son, Jesus. I pray for those of us here who have not yet come to the point that we're ready to put our faith in Jesus Christ, that you would make that clear to them. You would show them what you want to show them. I pray for the people here who, who, who are walking with you, Lord. I pray that you would, you would drive this truth deep into our hearts. Pray for all of us who have authority, all of us who have authority, that you would help us to apply this principle to the areas that we have authority so that we can exercise authority in a way that blesses the followers as well as accomplishes the mission. That's good for us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the word. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.